Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 21. Acts 17, verses 16 through 21. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of a foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took them and brought them to Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting for you bring some strange things to our ears we wish to know therefore what these things mean now all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new If you were in Bible class, you might feel like this is an Acts-saturated day, uh, which I don't think would be necessarily a bad thing, but I will encourage you uh, that uh, uh, if you come back tonight, we will be in a different book, uh, Jeremiah's, where we will be tonight uh, looking at a unique section of scripture there. But if you have not already done so, if you would please turn to the book of Acts, and we will be in Acts chapter 17 for the bulk of this morning. And in Acts chapter 17, uh, you have Paul in Athens in a place called the Areopagus. And this, uh, this place, this Areopagus, is a place where all sorts of philosophies and, and philosophizers and all sorts of people that have any kind of idea, spiritual or otherwise, could go and discuss those ideas in a quote-unquote open forum. In a very similar way, and I say quote-unquote open forum because in a very similar way, it is like our social media of today. We have, in a number of ways, Areopaguses in our pockets. We have Areopaguses all over the place where people will chat and discuss things online in semi-open forums. People will hash ideas out, and a lot of times people will just fight. Just, I mean, that's the honest truth of the matter. But we live in a day where people can get at information faster and easier than any other time in history. To where not only can you find Bible programs that have different uh, translations for comparison and you can look at Greek tools and you can look at brotherhood commentaries and different things like that. But I mean we've got tools on, on math and science and history that, that just explode uh, all over the place in libraries and in schools and on your phones and any kind of place that you can find internet. You think about almost every store now and every restaurant has free Wi-Fi. We'll ignore the security issues with that for a moment. But just for the point that everybody can communicate today. It is a mass communication society. In fact, if you were to count the number of, of billboards that you passed on your way here, the average person passes over 4,000 a day. How many do you remember? We are in an advertised, saturated world. 
And if you spend any amount of time listening to people, you know people talk about a lot of things today. And our, our world that is so interconnected, especially online, there are a lot of ideas and a lot of things and people can just say uh, to a degree whatever they want. Sometimes it's, uh, it's things that just aren't good, to be frankly honest. But we do live in a world where people talk a lot about a lot of different ideas. We have our own Areopaguses. But more so than that, when we think about how uh, the world today is similar because we do want to try to reach people like the first century Christians reached in, in the book of Acts and how they reached them in the first century world. The people in the book of Acts in chapter 17 are uniquely different than the people in Acts chapter 2 where we first see the gospel preached. In Acts chapter 2, you have an overwhelmingly Jewish audience who was familiar with the Old Testament scriptures and they believed in Jehovah and they understood that there was going to be a Messiah. They looked for these things. But in Acts chapter 17, it's not the same. A lot of the people there had a very different religious view and they got together and they would discuss these kinds of things. And I think sometimes we, we, we want to be able to, to proclaim the gospel like they did in Acts chapter 2 and show people uh, the, the scriptures and show them, see, this is, this, this is how Jesus fulfilled these scriptures when, when a lot of folks just don't even know about the Old Testament. A lot of folks just don't even know about the Bible. The illiteracy rate of the Bible is... is worse than it's been in a very long time. But do you realize the same message that was preached in Acts chapter 2 is the same message that is preached in Acts chapter 17, although the people are different and the methodology is different, the message is the same. And what we're going to do this morning is look at Four uh, ideas from Acts 17, really three ideas and then a, a, an encouragement for us as a congregation. When you look at Acts 17 and Paul in the midst of this Areopagus uh, in, in Athens and where he is, we see when Paul preaches that God is radically different from what people expect of deity. Notice Paul, verse 22, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I was passing along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he has made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring, being then God's offspring. 
We ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. When you look at the message, and, and, and really we're reading two and a half minutes. Two and a half minutes, this, this is his sermon condensed. Uh, Paul, who is known to preach until midnight, uh, I, I don't know if this is the whole sermon, but this is his sermon condensed. But there is so much gold, there's so much in this that we can just look at for just a few moments. I want you to think about this, what this passage teaches us about God. Number one, he is God alone. Notice what the text says. He says, the God who made the world, verse 24, and everything in it. He is God alone. He's creator. God is God alone. He is creator. You think about what Paul is seeing. There's idols to this God and this God and this God. And the people were so religious and they had this pantheon of gods. So much so that just in case there was a God that was missed, there's a little altar to the unknown God, to the unknown God. And you had people on, on all ends of the spectrum, people who said, well, we can never really know if there's a God. We have those today. And they had people on the other end, well, everything is God. It's kind of pantheistic or, or everything is God and God is in everything. And what you see Paul doing is standing uh, above and beyond and, and separate from all of that and saying, there is one God. He is the one who made the heavens and the earth. He is creator. Not only do we see that, he is Lord alone. Notice what he says, who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth. He is sovereign. He is God alone. He is Lord alone. But also, he is bigger than we could ever imagine. He does not dwell in temples made by man. He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed all mankind, life and breath and everything. The, the basic idea uh, at, at, at this time is if you uh, had some sort of dwelling or building or, or altar for, for this deity or that deity, that they owe you something. But we know that God is such a God that, that he wouldn't even be able to be contained in the largest, most massive building that we could construct. Because not even heaven and earth can contain him and his glory. But he says he does not dwell in temples made by hands, and he continues that, that, that thought. Not only is he bigger than we could ever imagine, he is independent as though he needed anything. As though he needed anything. There's some new empty nesters that are uh, adjusting to, to, to life or, or almost empty nesters or, 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 or lesser nests, however you want to call it. And you know that your kids are, are experiencing, perhaps for the first time, what it means to be independent until they call and ask for help. Uh, uh, there is a, a, a massive shift for some of you that are going through that right now. And we know what it's like to be independent, but we never have known what it's like to never depend there has been a point in all of our lives, whether growing up, you know, when we're a baby, we depend. 
we're growing up, we depend on others. We can't do everything ourselves. But do you realize that the God that he is describing never, ever needs anything? We can't supply because he has all. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. And notice how he describes him. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. You see, he's the giver of life. He, he is the one who gives, not, not just creating the world, but, but the creator, the giver of life, the author of life. And he's the purposeful ruler of nations. It's not just some random chaotic kind of thing and wind up the clock and let it go. It's not, it's not some, he doesn't know what's going to happen. He's just going to be surprised when it does. But notice, he says, he has made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and people, perhaps find their way toward him and or feel their way toward him and find him. Notice, by the way, what that says about all of the, the, the racial tension and any kind of thing, that that's destroyed in Christ. He is made from one man, all nations, to dwell on the face of the earth. And, notice this, not only is he God alone, Lord alone, bigger than we could imagine, independent, the giver of life, but he has purposed that the nations and the people should dwell where they are so that they should seek him. And he's not actually far. He's near that they would be able to reach out. He's unique. As even some of your own poets have said, for we indeed are his, his offspring. But notice this, verse 27, they seek God and perhaps they feel their way toward him and find him him he's not far from any one of us for in him we live and move and have our being he says in verse 29 being then God's offspring we ought not think the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone an image formed by the art or imagination of man notice because he doesn't need anything because he's creator because he's the giver of life because he's not far from each one of us because he's ruler over the nations don't think he's like all the stuff that we can make or imagine or think about. He is uniquely different than any that we could ever imagine. God, even in Isaiah, would ask, who can you compare me to? The answer is obvious. No one. God is incomparable. But he's also judge. See, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. He's judge. He's the life giver, but he's the judge and the sentencer. So much you can see about God just from this short little text. And by the way, I mentioned a moment ago that, that 
Although the, the audience is different than Acts 2 and the methodology is different than Acts 2. Acts 2, there's, there's Old Testament quote after Old Testament quote after Old Testament quote. And we need to make sure that when we preach and when we teach, that our lessons are Bible-oriented, that they are God-saturated, and that they are full of what God would have us to have in them. But I want you to think about the message of Acts 17 and the message of Acts 2 for just a moment. We talked about how God is judge and ruler here in Acts 17. Look at Acts 2 for just a moment. Acts 2 verse 33 through 35. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing for David did not ascend into the heavens but himself says the Lord said to my Lord sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Notice this that he is judge and ruler. That idea Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Whose right hand is Jesus sitting at? It's the Father's. And what's this idea of sitting at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool? That comes from uh, uh, Psalm 2. And you know what? Psalm 2 is beautiful in itself. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? You know, three times when that, that section, uh, when that psalm is quoted, three times it's referring directly to the resurrection you know, isn't that what Peter says in Acts 2? You, by the hands of lawless men, delivered up but God. God changed that. You tried to keep him in the grave. Didn't work. Why did the people's plot in vain? It is in vain. It is in vain. But Jesus is at the right hand. He is judge and ruler. Acts 2, 33 to 35 in Acts chapter 17. Notice Acts 2.29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of this we are all witnesses. Notice he is judge and ruler. He's also the giver of life. Acts chapter 17, he gives to all life. Acts chapter 2, he is the giver of life. That's what the resurrection's about. Acts chapter 2 and verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, God raised him up, loosing him from the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Notice, he is judge and ruler. He is the giver of life. He is purposeful. God, it was his determining plan. He knew this was going to happen. It was his calculated setup so that Jesus could rise. And verse 34 through 36, we've already read 34 and 35. Notice verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Lord and God. But he's also judge. 
See in verse 37, now they heard this. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. Notice he's judge. What should we do? Repent and let every one of you be baptized. Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 17 have the same message. Going to, to, to different audiences, yes, but it's the same message. And in fact, when we look at Paul's preaching in particular in Acts chapter 17, and we can see it not just in Acts 17, but in particular, since that's where the focus of our lesson is this morning, Peter in Acts chapter 2, Paul in Acts 17, there is a real definite emphasis on the resurrection. When you read the book of Acts, just start counting how often you see resurrection. Do it for the epistles as well, because you'll be blown away. I was. Still am. But notice this. In Acts chapter 17, notice how Acts 17 begins. He's not in Athens right away at the Areopagus. That's not how 17 opens up. Notice 17 verse 1. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbaths, uh, Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Notice what Paul's message is, that from the scriptures, that the Christ must suffer and that he must rise from the dead. It's the resurrection. Jump down to Acts chapter 17 and verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night uh, to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see that these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, and not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Think about this for just a moment. They're in Thessalonica. It doesn't last long because people stir, up, stir them up and, and, and chase them out of the city. It's for their own safety, in fact, that they have to leave. And in verse 10, you see that they went uh, to Berea. And this is where we have that passage that we all know now. The, the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they received what? The word. What word? It's the word he preached to the Thessalonians. That the Christ must suffer, and that he must die, and that he must be raised again. How about Acts chapter 17, verse 16? Now when Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he, his spirit was provoked within them as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. The resurrection, the resurrection, the resurrection. And notice 17, 30, and 30, 30 through 32 in times of ignorance, God overlooked, but now commands all people everywhere to repent. 
because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some of them joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysus, uh, the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. Resurrection is what he preached in Thessalonica. It's what he preached in Berea. It's what he preached in Athens. It's what he preached in Areopagus. But it gets a lot more than that when you see so many times Paul's preaching has this emphasis. But here in the Areopagus, here's just a little fun historical fact. Fifth century BC, there's a play. And in the midst of that play, there is this declaration. Uh, 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 and it's an inauguration of the Areopagus. And, and by the way, when you go somewhere, if you're, if you're a... Uh, you know, if you're a nerd like me, I'm just saying, if you're a nerd like me and you go somewhere where there's nerd stuff going on, you're going to know the history of that nerd stuff, whether maybe Star Trek or Star Wars. You go somewhere, there's Star Trek and Star Wars stuff going on, you're going to know the history. You're going to know all the stuff about it. If you are into uh, sports or football, you're going to know the history of the team and who's playing this season and what happened last game and all the cool stuff that happened. You're going to know. Well, the people in the Areopagus didn't just trip up there and said, oh, hey, we found this place that has a, a, a couple of cool uh, um, uh, stores to go check out their wares. This was a place people went for a specific purpose and they know why it's there. It's to discuss these ideas and they know it's history. And in the middle of that play, in Athenian drama, there is a cry, when a man dies and his blood is spilled on the ground, there is no resurrection. That is the play that inaugurated the Areopagus. And Paul turns the whole thing upside down and says that is wrong because Jesus is risen. Brethren, as much as we would want to live in an Acts 2 world where everybody knows a good amount of the Bible, that's not where we are. We live in Acts 17. Where there's all sorts of ideas and all sorts of mixes. And, 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 and. But the amazing thing is that it's the same gospel. And the wonderful thing is that people still want to hear. They're hungering and they're thirsting. There were a few people here that believed. It, it, it doesn't sound like it was the majority but how wonderful it is that in the Areopagus, when Paul turned the whole idea of the Areopagus on its head and said, that's false, Jesus is risen. And by the way, for five centuries, no one did raise from the dead until Jesus. Those who were in the Old Testament and a couple uh, uh, in the Old Testament died again. But Jesus rose to nevermore die again. Now, here's the last thing. You have, if you haven't picked up the reminder, you know that normally there is a uh, little chart to fill out uh, for the sermon. Well, I cheated this morning and didn't give you one of those. I know Andy does an excellent job with those, but uh, I use this system for a different purpose. The first Saturday in October... Uh, we are having a uh, canvassing day 
um, house to house, heart to heart, whom we do uh, uh, utilize their materials, uh, has tried to do this every year. Last year, obviously, was a difficult year. They, they did not do it, but the year before they did and got, I think, about 300 congregations involved, and they're trying to get more this year. That's not why we're doing it, but it is a neat thing to be a part of. The reason that we're doing this is because we want to reach people in this community. Because people in this community need to hear that Jesus is risen. People in this community need to hear that God lives and that God loves and that he's not far from them. And this is not going to be the typical door knocking where we knock on people's doors and try to get a lesson uh, uh, settled down right there at the door again because of the present situation. Uh, this is, uh, understand the words that I use, it's a door hanging. We're putting hangers on doors. We're not hanging doors. We're putting the hangers on the doors uh, that will have some information. And the information, by the way, will be timeless. Uh, I think last year or something like that, there was a plan to do that, and then things kind of uh, came up to where we were not able to. And uh, we will need to unpack those bags because they have a VBS that no longer is going to happen because it already did. Uh, so we need to unpack those bags and repack them with some, some new material. And the material will be timeless in that it's not going to expire so that we can, uh, they, they can have that always with them. There's going to be a lot of people that probably throw it out. But there's going to be some that look at it. And the first thing that's going to be in that uh, that they see will be a question. It'll be just a little sliver of a paper. And it'll have a question on it. And the question is simply this, if you could ask God one question, what would it be? And on the back of that card, on the back of that, that piece of paper that that's the first thing they see will be two codes and two websites, two QR codes, two websites, or uh, two web links that go to our website. One of them is a way for them to ask a Bible question. And the second is for them to ask for prayers. And those will go to us and we will uh, communicate them and see what we can do to, to answer their question. We're not God, but God has sure revealed a lot of stuff to us. And if God hasn't revealed it to us, we can at least say God hasn't revealed that. But we can tell you this, that he loves you. And you know, there are a lot of people right now that are wondering a lot of questions about God. Why God has this happened? What, what is going on? What's my purpose in life? Why am I here? There's a lot of questions that people have. And so the reason that you have in your uh, possession this, uh, this little sheet right here, if you didn't get a reminder, you can grab one. It's in there. They're also back on the table uh, uh, in the foyer. Um, uh, and what this is, is it's just a little check mark. It's very simple. We need all hands on deck. I, I need your help with this. For, for multiple reasons. Joseph uh, needs your help on this. He has been phenomenal in helping get a lot of this set up. Uh, Joseph has the heart of an evangelist um, uh, more than just about anybody I've seen. I've only been here a few weeks, and it blows my mind, all his ideas and thoughts on that. Um, it's encouraging. And what we need your help with is, is this event. We want Our goal is a 1,000 doors. Put a hanger on a thousand doors but with that kind of, of, of event that means that we do need people to do various things and if you look on here you've got number one load the door hangers like I said the ones that we currently have need to be uh, adjusted a little bit and have the new card that's going to be put in there put in there which will be coming soon Lord willing uh, especially since it's the first weekend in October um, 
The second thing is provide water. I don't know if it's going to be a hot day, but since we live here, it's probably going to be a hot day. Here's the other amazing thing, or at least nice thing about uh, the way that we're setting this up is if it is a rainy day, a couple weekends from now, not the weekend after I'm getting married, but a couple weekends from now, uh, from that day, if it's too rainy, we can set it up again and, 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 and finish that mission but we need people to provide water bottles for all those people who are going to be going out in the heat and, and, and doing that. We need people who are willing to go and do the canvassing. Again, we're not asking for people to go and knock doors. We're not against that in any way. But because of the present situation, we want to make sure everybody is safe and feels safe. Also, a lot of these kinds of events, we, we meet at the building, we go and do that, and then we're just kind of, we go and float off and do our own thing. This one's going to be a little bit different. After you are done with your packet and whoever here is providing waters and all of that, uh, uh, we want to be able to come back and have a, a, a small lunch, grill out kind of thing. We need people to provide that kind of thing. Uh, uh, whoever might have a, have a grill or have some, uh, some food they can bring for that. More information again uh, soon on those things. But we wanted to get it into your knowledge very quickly since it is approaching very quickly. But then there's a final thing. You don't have to do all of these. You could. But there is a final. And this is something that everyone in here can do. Pray for the event. And all you have to do is check which one you're going to do or which two or which five and write your name on it and on the evangelism table there's a basket and just put it in there you can do face up face down whatever you would like and this will help us to start calculating who can do what and how many hands we have but I'm telling you we need all hands on deck because of all of these things and because all of those people need to know that God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world. And we know this because he has raised his son from the dead. And if we believe in that, if we trust in that mission, then how many people, how many people can hear? If we can reach a thousand doors... Brethren, if only one person asks a question and it starts a conversation about God, I think that's worth one Saturday. And by the way, while the canvassing is going on, the people who might be staying here, getting food prepared or otherwise, you can keep praying. You can keep praying. And for our members who are watching online because they cannot be here today, and there is something you want to help out with, we, we want to know. And you can pray, and we want to know you are. We want all hands on deck. We know you can't do everything. And if there is something in here that you think you can do that we've missed, come talk to me. I, I, I want to know. But isn't it wonderful that Jesus is risen from the dead? Isn't it wonderful that we can be here this morning declaring that he's risen from the dead and the songs that we sing and the prayers that we pray in the supper that we partake in, knowing that he will come back? And isn't it wonderful that we have the mission to encourage others, not just outside the church, but those here this morning? If there is a need, if there is something we can help you with to pray with you, to pray for you, to help you grow closer to God, we want to do so.
just come forward as we stand and sing.